I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so um, I've sobered up, but there's still some blackouts. And um, I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later. Having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. I'll tell you one more time, oh yeah, we're having a good time, yeah. We're having a good time, man. All right, welcome to the We're Having a Good Time podcast, where we bring you comedy, entertainment, and uh, other things. Uh, We talk about all kinds of stuff. You know, we got an intro that we're going to work on, but that wasn't it. But we, what we want to do is start it off right by telling you what this podcast is all about. It's called the We're Having a Good Time podcast, but truth be told, I mean, we really can't always all have a good time. Uh, everything can't always be a good time. I've lied to myself many years saying that that's true, but if coronavirus has taught me anything, it's that... Stuff can come along that steals everyone's joy, and uh, and uh, but we got a hot one. That song, that intro song that you heard, that's by a guy named Troy Ritchie. Uh, song, uh, I am Troy Ritchie on Instagram, and he is working on making that Kesha song "Take It Off" into a country music song, and that's very exciting. Uh, I have. Got a preview of it, but I'm not going to play it because I want him to get the full thing in. And I'd also like to welcome to the podcast my wife, co-host, and producer, Hannah Hogan. Hey, and I'd like to introduce the host of the podcast, my protege, Dusty Slay. Thank you, Hannah. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Mm. Well, listen... We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got an exciting time. I did get a couple of emails from people, uh, which uh, I wasn't sure I was going to get any. I offered to give advice on the same podcast where I talked about how wearing a mask over your nose is uh, pointless, and I got a comment on an Instagram. We got a little clap back on it. I did get one. I'd like to try to find that now. What was the pot? What was the 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 last thing I posted? Let's say, oh yeah. This guy says uh, something like, I was with you until. Uh, yeah, he says, uh, uh, his name is I underscore like to hike. And I'm not telling you that to attack him. I'm sure that he has, no one will attack him anyway, but I'm sure he is very nice. And he very well may be making a joke here. He said, I love the podcast up until you criticize people regarding mask not covering the nose. It does make a difference, unlike unlike clocking in at 10 versus 9. He's definitely trying to keep it light, which I appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate it too. I'm not upset with him, but I uh, still, I mean, it's like when I say I don't think it makes a difference and then you say it does make a difference, that doesn't change anything for me. I just think of it in the way that like people that are real – proselytizers for the mask it drives them insane when people don't want to wear the mask like it i think like in their head they bang their head against a wall it makes them so upset to hear people that don't want to wear a mask i think so too and they and they go it's not taking your freedoms and i'm like well it's taking my freedom to be able to see people smile and for you to see me smile Mm -hmm. so uh i think it's a big deal i don't i don't take it lightly and i'm not not trying to wear a mask, and I, I wear the mask when I have to. I'm not trying to not wear a mask for any type of of anything other than, um, you know, I, I think it's important that we see facial expressions. I think it's important that we smile at each other. I had said years ago, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but we had a girl from uh, either the Ukraine or Russia. It's been years ago. I don't remember exactly, but she was, her name was Ilana and she had started working at Hyman's with us. 
And we asked her what were some of the biggest things she noticed, you know, being in America. And she said, all the fat people and how much people smile. And I think it's sad. I mean, I think people in the country, you know, for the most part, unless you're watching TV, are happy. And uh, it's fun to see them smile. Yeah. Especially out in public. I think generally speaking, people are on their best behavior when they're out in public. You know, I can be in a bad mood at home, but then I'll go to Walgreens and be, thank you so much and have a nice day to the clerk. So. Yeah. And it means something. And it also changes how you interact with people in public. I love to wave to people in pub- uh, public. I love to say hello to people. I love to smile at them. I love to make jokes with people. And when we're all wearing masks, it does not feel jokey out there. That's for sure. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not mad at you for having an opinion and telling me that, that they work. But just saying it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, and we're not bad people. And... You're not a bad person for thinking the way you think either. We're just thinking different out here. And some, some of us, people agree. Some people, well, they disagree. And I suppose. Some of us like our faces enough to want them to be seen, and others of us don't. Others of us are like, I'm glad I get to wear a mask today. I will say, I I think I'm an attractive person, but I think probably my one of my best features is my eyes, and I feel like. I, I feel like people think I'm more attractive than I am just when my face is covered with a mask because my eyes are, you know, blue and pretty. And I, I almost weirdly notice like people taking a second look at me or something with just the eyes showing. Um, and I'm like, well, I'll take this thing off. You're going to see a lot of freckles and moles. So well, get ready for that. People um, think I'm, I don't know what they think about me, but I went into the bank today with a mask on. That was pretty fun. You know, six months ago, they wouldn't let me go into the mask with my hat on. Well, they wouldn't let me go into the bank with my hat on. Now I get to go in with a mask. You know what I mean? Yeah. World's changing out here. Yeah. All right. So, as promised, I'd like to read some of the fortune cookie comments. I said I was going to do it last week, but to be honest with you, I completely forgot about it. So, I want to get into reading some of... Uh, we should talk about... This was a previous episode where I got a fortune cookie that was a very bizarre fortune. And we didn't really understand it, so we read it out. Do we have it here now? I, I, we don't have it here now. Um, but the thing about it is, is it is on a video. Right. Well, it's not going to make sense to the people listening to it. Well, they, they should go it. back and listen to that other one. Well, it's something like, act in such a way that the family parrot doesn't repeat the gossip to the town choir. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. They're so prudent they don't take a risk. Right. And then Hannah got one, and we don't understand what it means. This is this is a fortune cookie that Hannah got the other night at a Japanese restaurant, and we don't understand what it means. So, Hannah, if you will, read it for us. So live that you don't sell the family parrot to the town gossip. So live that you don't sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Okay. That was a fortune, and we didn't understand it. And honestly, hearing it back, I'm like, yeah, that's confusing. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I'm just going to start with them right at the, right at the top. But I'm some just, of our listeners came back and said they know what, what right. it's all about. So here we go. Bad Crispy. These are people off YouTube. Bad Crispy. I think the fortune means to live without secrets. Kung Fu movies are the best. To live right. without secrets. Okay. So, so live... What was it? So live that you don't sell the family parrot to the town gossip. All right. Live without secrets. Here we go. Yasmin Grant says, so live. Oh, she had it written right here. Um, I think the parrot actually represents literally your own behavior. Maybe the fortune is advising you to represent your family well by behaving in an understanding manner so that gossip doesn't spread in the negative about who you are and how you were raised. Like some celebrities would be a good example of how to of how not taking heed to the fortune cookie could backfire. All right. 
C. Higgins, interesting. I opened a fortune cookie, and it just said we're having a good time. <laughs> That's a good cookie. Okay. Nicholas San Miguel, I think that fortune is a misprint of an actual quote by Will Rogers that's missing some words. Well, that's uh, probably the most true. Jason Sorgi. It seems to me that the fortune cookie text is missing some important words. It looks like the quote f- is from Will Rogers, and it should have said, so live that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. Right. That makes more sense. Yeah, because the parrot would be seeing and hearing everything that you're doing in your house. So if you sold your parrot to the town, then the parrot's going to tell them, well, all your secrets. Jarrett Whitaker appreciated that I said, you you kill that parrot before you have to sell it. <laughs> uh, Alex Newby, you're on Tiger Belly level. Unleash a one-hour cast. Okay, unrelated. Uh Jordan Kane, that's not so much a fortune cookie, but a recommendation cookie. Yeah, totally. It's just like telling me what to do. Um, uh, Eric Meyer, Mayor, when you go shopping in town, don't leave your youngest kid with the old lady, lady sitting all day at the town square. That's my translation. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy really Cosmo- interpreted it. Cosmo Kramer, I pass that Western Sizzlin in Opelika every dang morning. <laughs> all right. I think I think we've spent uh, all the actual uh, interpretations. I feel it means don't be a traitor or act treasonous to those you are loyal. Or as you said, it could have mean keep it to yourself. Real G's move in silence. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely makes more sense if it's so live that you wouldn't be ashamed if you sold the family parrot to the town gossip. Uh, right. And it's, that's likely because, you know, these are Chinese people uh, rewriting Brian in Bates, English. Brian Bates says, Hannah, what does providential mean? What does providential mean? I think you used that in this. Yeah, that I don't know. It means God's fate, God's will. God's plan. This guy said, what, what, how about the parrot gossip fortune make you so hard to understand? <laughs> that, that's, oh, this is what he wrote. What, how about the parrot gossip fortune make you so hard to understand? I don't know. I don't man. know, man. I mean, <laughs> we're dumb, I guess. <laughs> Uh, guys, let's not pretend like none of us grew up without a family parrot. Okay. That's a lot of fun. That's good. Some people also sent, I think we got two emails. Um, yeah, we got a comedy email and a spiritual email. Well, um, um, I got emails about the parrot. Oh. But they're far away now. Yeah. I think we covered the parrot. I think we got to the bottom of it. Thanks so much. First for, thing for writing in. This is David E. Ross. Oh, we're still doing it. The first thing I thought of as soon as you said parrot was PD didn't even have a head. Uh, <laughs> That's a um, dumb and dumber. Uh, uh, the quote in uh, the quote is a Will Rogers quote, but I think it sounds more like a Fred Rogers quote, and it's saying don't gossip. Okay, All who's right. Will Rogers? I don't know. He sounds like a cowboy. Yeah, he does sound like a cowboy. And it probably means Will Rogers didn't say it. Some writer in the 40s probably wrote it. This says to take away, this is from James Edwards, take away the don't and phrase positively. Live in a way you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take out the negations. So that's it. All right. Very exciting. Very exciting. It's always fun to listen to me read. I know people enjoy it when I try to read things. and Try. I try, exactly. So, What, how don't you understand about it? Yeah, it's like, how can I confuse you more than what the thing that you're confusing you (laughs) is, you know, confused you? Yeah. Right? So we've got a new camera system set up, and it feels pretty good. Thanks to the recommendation uh, from... The owner of uh, 
Corey, uh, the owner of the comedy club, uh, uh, I can't speak. It's late in the day. It's um, four. What was, uh, <laughs> what was, uh, where did I go? Providence, Rhode Island, Comedy Connection. Corey mm. owns that place. He gave me some recommendations. And now I think it's really going to fix all our camera problems. Uh, and, and, and eventually what I'd like to do is be able to post entire episodes on the internet. I wanted to post uh, all of the Spectracide videos on the internet, but the camera kept messing up. So um, I, I, I think that we're going to take, I want to go back and revisit. I want to start back at 2013, talk about some stuff that happened. But before I do that, I want to talk about, I meant to mention something. In 2000, late 2011, when I was hanging out with my friend Chaz in Statesboro, Georgia, and we got into a fight, and I drove home and almost wrecked on the interstate and then slept in a Walmart parking lot. You remember that part? Oh, yeah. Well, me and Chaz had gone to a store, and we bought some clothes so that I could go out and party a little bit in Statesboro. And so uh, we went to a store. I bought some clothes without trying it on, and these were the tightest jeans I had ever worn. And in 2012, like I hung them up and I thought I'll never wear these jeans again. And in 2012, I quit drinking in late January. And by late March, those were the only jeans I could wear. All my others were too giant, mm. too giant. They were bunching up. I look like nothing makes you look poorer than too big a jeans that you got bunched up. Yeah. Like losing weight can make you look poor if your clothes don't fit rhinestones on a hat make you look a little poor you think so yeah you mean like like trashy yep like not like i'm a rhinestone cowboy i'm talking gas station hat <laughs> yes exactly exactly like that um, that hat you have yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the hat uh, i have <laughs> yeah but the old school rhinestone suits now that's class mm-hmm. but not a yeah not a that's a southern class though we'll we'll qualify it well yeah, I mean, maybe, but uh, out right. west, too. Okay. You know? All right, carry on. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't limit country singers just to the south. Either. Okay. And um, let's see. Um, oh, so that's what I wanted to say. I mean, th- that, that was a big turnaround. I bought some shoes there that were too tight for my feet and jeans that were too tight. And that ended up being the jeans and shoes that I would wear for a long time. One might say those pants were providential. Yes. Oh, great. But that's going to lead me into what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about this. I, I, I know, and I just think that this is a bit of advice I might share with people, especially younger people, because I went through so much. Um, nothing terrible, but growing up, I went through so much. Like, I have good parents. My parents are good people. and um, and But no one taught me how to dress. I never looked good coming up. Growing up, I never looked good. One of my outfits that my mom used to put me in, I had two outfits. My dad bought me these outfits, but my mom spiced it up. One Christmas, I wish I could just infuse that video into the podcast. I may try to before I load it to the internet, but one Christmas, I got uh, a green sweatpants suit and like a maroon sweatpants suit. So I had the bottom sweatpants and then the sweatshirt. Not a hoodie, a hoodie-less sweatshirt. Maroon and green. That was that was a set of clothing I got for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So what my mom did was my mom spiced it up a bit. I was a big Kyle Petty fan. Kyle Petty drove the mellow yellow car with a yellow and green colors in it. So she threw on a big oversized uh, Kyle Petty t-shirt over the green outfit, making it look like, you know, it all went together. Right. So I wore like, I had like, kind of like a Kyle Petty dress over the, uh, sweatpants. Right on. And then for the maroon, she threw on an Alabama shirt. Um, you know, I'm sure she disliked it, but crimson is Alabama. So I had a Alabama dress that I would wear. And that was, you know, that was what I would do. I would wear a lot of you know, big oversized shirts. I would wear a lot of Auburn game day shirts. And I had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Michigan shirts because my brother-in-law went to uh, University of Michigan. So I had a lot of Michigan shirts and I never looked good. Mm-hmm. My clothes were always clean, but they were never in style. I remember a guy named Trey White 
in middle school made fun of me, not bad, but just poked at me a little bit for having my t-shirt tucked into my jeans. And he said, you don't supposed to tuck a t-shirt into the jeans. And I was like, what? And he was like, especially when they got a hole in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I untucked the t-shirt and I never tucked it into jeans again. In fact, I don't like tucking my t-shirt into my pants. I've been saying Mm -hmm. lately that I, I can't tuck my shirt into my pants because I have, because if I got my t-shirt tucked in, then I look like I work wherever I'm at. I got the kind of body that's like the, I work here body. Like if I tuck my t-shirt into my jeans, people, and and I'm in the grocery store, people will try to get me to help them find the bread. You Mm -hmm. know, they'll be like, do you know where the bread's at? And I'm like, yeah, I do know where the bread's at. So I take them over there. And then it gets weird when they find out that I don't work at the store. I'm like, you didn't ask me if I worked here. You asked me if I knew where the bread is. You've also been mistaken for a homeless gentleman. I have. I have been mistaken for homeless. But that's in my current style that I enjoy. Right. But so, so you know, so there I am in middle school. I've, I've struggled with these outfits. Um, what and, happened in high school? Well, let me get on through. This was elementary where I had the sweatsuit. And then in middle school, Trey White told me not to tuck my T-shirt into my jeans. And then um, and then in middle school, I got I had a one like an Ivy Crew shirt that this girl would always compliment every time. Actually, it was Mary Manning. And I think she might have lived in Nashville for a little while. She was always very nice. She would always say, I like that shirt. So I would wear that shirt as much as possible because I didn't get a lot of compliments on shirts. And then I had another one that was a pretty nice shirt that I would wear. I have uh, school pictures in both of those shirts. And then um, one year my dad bought me a lot like for, uh, you know, like he went and bought me a lot of long sleeve button downs. But it was like long sleeve button downs, the exact same pattern different colors Mm -hmm. and I needed short sleeve so my mom cut all the sleeves off and then hemmed them okay so I had homemade short sleeve shirts that I would wear Mm -hmm. and uh but the greatest thing that happened to me in middle school was the starter jackets came out oh yeah so my mom bought me an Auburn starter jacket which my dad may have never known that I owned and then she bought me a Miami Dolphins starter jacket. So I had two starter jackets. And I would just wear those all day because people thought that was cool. They were cool. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just wear this all day. Mm-hmm. Even in class. Even in class. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean that, was, that was my thing. Yeah, I remember being a child and then just wearing jackets in class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when, when you take it off, you're not cool anymore. Yeah. You know, they yeah. see the poorness coming out. It's all out about of the you. jacket. A lot of folks that I went to school with, uh, like preteen, wore like Daytona Beach kind of. Oh, yeah. Jackets that kind of shimmered. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. Maybe that was just something people that vacation in Florida wore, but I would start seeing a lot of those. Yeah, I don't know that. All right. I don't know either. Uh, as I was asking you, it's kind of down around your parts. I remember wearing a Hooter shirt. I make this joke. I had a Hooter shirt in um, third grade that I wore to school. Mm-hmm. And That seems inappropriate. It is inappropriate, yeah. I'm feeling. And I feel like third grade may be too young, maybe fourth grade. It wasn't that much older. Maybe it was fourth grade. I'm dropping all kind of school names right here, but I'm not mad at any of these people. I just think it's fun to name drop them in case anybody that I went to high school listens to the podcast. Uh, anybody that I went to high school with listens to the podcast. But uh, a girl named uh, Amanda, um, oh, what was her last name? Dang, I can't remember. My dad used to tell me that I would one day forget everybody's last names, and I, I didn't believe him. But it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. Amanda Price. Amanda Price is her name. And she, uh, I remember her, she never was mean to me about it, but I wore the Hooter shirt. It got a lot of attention. People loved it. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was a big day for me. And then she, we had to do something one time where we had to, I don't remember what it was. I only remember her statement, and that's the only reason I remember that it happened. But everybody was kind of standing up, like, making a statement. Like, everybody had a statement to make. And I remember her statement was, 
Uh, I think Hooters is an obscene name for a restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, it's owls. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, you know, it's yeah. an owl. Mm-hmm. But, That's the beginning of the feminist divide in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, she later ran for class president. I don't know if she won or not. I don't. No, I don't think she did. That young lady sounds like she had a good head on her shoulders. I think so. She was very smart. I, I wanted to run for class president, but my GPA had gotten too low. Yeah. I think I had a good chance to have, to have won. Yeah, you probably need a little bit of a better style, though. Well, they, did, they definitely didn't want me representing, because I wrote a poem. I wanted to read a poem at the graduation. I, I wish I could find that poem. I'll find it and try to read it next time. So you're a little lost with your style in high school, but you know you, you didn't really have much choice when you're a child. You don't really know what to wear. So what starts to happen once you become like late teens, twenties? Well, this is what starts to happen in ninth grade. I'm I'm going to the high school. This is the big time. This is the big time, and I'm I'm I can't remember exactly, but at the beginning of my ninth grade year, a tornado had come through. And knocked a tree down on our trailer. Or it was like end of 8th grade into ninth grade. Something was happening. But I had to stay with my friend Costa for a couple of, like a week. I stayed with him. And then me and Costa started to drift apart in ninth grade. He got in with some of the bad kids. You know, some of the, some of the kids on dope. You yeah. know what I mean? He got in with some of those kids. Yeah. And I wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, That's sweet. So, um... I, um, so ninth grade, we kind of drifted away and then 10th grade, we moved from the trailer into a house, uh, just about a mile from the high school. And I, I really struggled when I, when I, cause I used to ride the bus. So when I first got to this house, I rode the bus. The bus was picked me up first, very early in the morning. And then they, and then, and then they went and picked everybody else up. So I was the first one to be picked up. So I had to be up at the crack of dawn and then I was, I got there late to school and I always like to get to school a little early. I like to see people. I had a few friends that I like to hang out with before school. I always thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's killing your vibe. Yeah. So I decided, you know, I I searched around, I made some calls, I tried to find a ride and everybody was like, I didn't have many people to call because I always had a lot of friends in school, but all my friends in the trailer park all went to a different school. So they, you know, so anyway, so I couldn't find a ride, so I decided to walk, and I just started walking. And the way I treated this walk, you would have thought I had to walk for miles, and uh, it wasn't that bad. But I started walking, and then I met this guy uh, who was also walking, and he was like a transfer into our school from Auburn named Nathan Cannon. I met this guy, and this guy was wearing like Jinkos, and he had bleached hair, and he was just like, I thought, man, this guy's cool. That you know? is cool. I was like, he's walking to school. He doesn't seem to be all bothered and insecure about it like I am. He's just got his own style about him. He's just chill. I'm like, this guy's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I start slowly kind of transitioning into Nathan Cannon, right? I mean, even someone said, a girl named Andrea Mitchell said one time, are you just ripping off? Andrea used to ha- like to hang with before school. And she said, are you just ripping off his style? And I said, oh, no, of course not. But, yes, I absolutely was. I mean, I love what he was doing. Nobody was really doing that at our school. We had a guy, Sean Acock. He was doing it a little bit, but he was leaning a little too heavy into the goth for me. I remember one day I wore uh, combat boots to school, and people really liked it. And Sean said, how is it that you, when I wear combat boots to school, everybody thinks I'm a lunatic, but you do it, everybody thinks it's cool. I was like, I don't know, man. And, uh, I, you know, but so – I started to get into this. I started to, you know, I bleached my hair, you know, I bleached my hair at one point and then, and then I let it grow out to the bowl cut. So I had the bleached hair and the, and the brown roots. I just thought it was so awesome. I used to carry, like I carried a brush with me, not because I was conceited, not because I was like, look at my hair, but it was cool. Like the hair, the way the hair moved. I was like, this is cool. And it also like, as the day settled on, if the hair settled down, I looked trashy. But as long as it was fresh, it looked good, so they say. Uh-huh. And uh, But I got into that. So I started getting into the weird stuff and the shock value of things. I remember I bought a, I went to a, a Purple Haze store in Panama City Beach, and I bought a black shirt with a couple of skulls on it. And then I got a tie-dyed shirt with a bunch of skulls on it. And then I had, I had a pink Hooter shirt that I used to wear. It said, 
had a it said Hooters on the front and more than a mouthful on the back. I had all right. I had a blue T-shirt and it had a little character on it, and he was holding a surfboard that looked like a joint, and he had a little caption that said "Hi," but it was H I G H. You know, he was like "Hi," and gosh, and I had a Marlboro shirt with a little Marlboro on the pack uh, on on the pocket. And so you started to make some friends because people are like, we want to hang out with this cool looking kid named Dusty. Yeah, I mean, I started my 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 horizon started to broaden a bit. I started I, I got into wearing green Sacconis. I had purple Sacconis. I had I had shoes like like they were like Doc Martens with flames on them. You Whoa. know, I mean, I was going all out. I had some Jinkos. I had some Echo. I had some yellow Echo pants. You remember Echo? Oh yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. some. I had a couple of pair of Jinkos. I mean, I had. I used to wear. What I would do is a lot of one of my favorite outfits. I would wear a yellow shirt. And then I would put this blue tie-dyed shirt with skulls on it over that shirt. Because they used to do the two-shirt thing all the time. Because if you didn't wear the two-shirt, it looked like you had too loose of a crew neck. Yeah. I wish the problem for me now was too loose of a crew neck. That's why I'm making homemade V-necks because <laughs> I never get a loose crew neck anymore. I don't know if people know that about you, but like all of your shirts are cut down the middle. Yeah. You got a homemade <laughs> V-neck. So... <laughs> So I'm, I'm getting into this. This is my favorite outfit. So I would throw the skull shirt over the yellow shirt. And then I had a blue flannel that I like to wear. And then I had my dad's old corduroy jacket. It was, That thing was real old. And then I had, so down here I had uh, the uh, the flannel would come out a little bit. And then I had these gloves with the fingers cut gloves? off. Gloves? Gloves with the fingers cut off that I would wear. Whoa. Yeah. And then. I would wear like a pair of the Jinkos and have my flame boots on there. And that's how I was going to school. Wow. And man, I felt cool. By senior year, I was looking like this every day and I was having a blast, right? Yeah. So then I get out of high. So it, it turned around 10th grade. I don't know. I would say into ninth grade, beginning of 10th grade were the most difficult for me uh, because ninth grade was really a lost year for me because all my friends from middle school that I was really close with, we got split. We got sent to different classes. We had no classes together. And I just felt like I was out there on my own. My friend Costa, we had kind of drifted apart too. And I just felt like I was really on my own about stuff, you know? So, but by 10th grade, I started to find myself, but I started to find myself in doing these crazy things. But inside there really was no completeness. There was no, I was riddled with insecurity. A lot of people wouldn't know that about me, but I was riddled with insecurity. And I felt oftentimes I needed to um, try to rise above my insecurities by downing other people. There were a couple, I won't say their names because I was mean to them at the time, but there were a couple of people that I perceived as wealthier than me or more popular than me. And they had everything. And it felt good to me to bring them down. I would say things. I made a girl cry a couple of times who I felt like like was the most you know popular girl in school. And I don't know why I did that. It it bothers me to this day. I haven't been in school in 20 years. Uh, I'm sure she doesn't think a second about it, but um, I didn't, I wasn't like so mean that I was just actually probably her crying was a bit ridiculous. Like it probably wasn't that big of a deal. But, yeah, but we're also sensitive in high school. Right, exactly. The fact is I was saying things to her. She cried. I remembered another guy. I tried, He was fairly muscular and I tried to like punk him. You know what I mean? And then another guy, I remember doing that too. That guy, we almost ended up in a fight. He basically, he called me one night and was like, you want to fight? Come on down here. Let's fight. And I was like, oh, geez. I was like, I've really pushed this too far. And I was <laughs> like, you know what? I don't want to Dang, fight. Dusty, you were mouthy. Well, I was mouthy. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to prove that, that I had something, you know, because I, I didn't, uh, I couldn't, I felt like I didn't fit in. But looking back, you know, I didn't fit in because of my own mental state, not because of anything else. Now, um, you know, it was because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a lot of guidance. And I don't mean that as a slight towards my parents. I don't mean that my parents weren't good because they were. They were great. But they weren't like, hey, when you're in this kind of social, they weren't setting me down being like, hey, you know, when you're in this kind of social situation, maybe this is the way to handle it or maybe this and this is, you know, here's a couple of reasons why it might be beneficial 
to you to not bleach your hair. You know, they would just, my dad would be like, don't do it, you look stupid, you know, stuff like that. But eventually my dad gave in and he even helped me bleach my hair one time. And, uh, you know, so it's like, so when I graduated high school, now I'm in this place where I'm like, for, for the summer, I'm still a lunatic. I'm living my life. I'm going wild. I shaved my eyebrows one time during the, during the summer. Um, and that was why I shaved my eyebrows. And then I would go into a store with my, I would pull my hair back and I would put my hat on backwards. So you just saw like full, full, just bareness going across. And this would go on for years. I mean, for the next few years, I grew my hair long. I got my nipple pierced one time. I got an eyebrow pierced. <laughs> I was doing all sorts of things to try to prove that I was a rebel and that I was wild. Illicit things. Yeah, and that I was, you know, I was just looking, look at me, I'm crazy. I'll do anything. And just, and then I moved to Charleston, and Charleston started... Like, I used to call myself weird all the time. I was like, you know, but I'm a weird guy, you know. And uh, one time, uh, early on, uh, living in Charleston, I was talking on the phone to my brother-in-law, and he gave me some of the best advice that I ever got. I, I said to him, I was talking to him about being weird. He's like, why do you call yourself weird all the time? He's like, you're not weird. He's like, there's nothing weird about you. Quit calling yourself weird. And... So I did stop calling myself weird, and I stopped feeling weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this sometimes, and I don't know where this comes from, but I think this. I think sometimes we say things, our mouth says things, and our ears hear them, and then we believe them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, because when you told me that anecdote, you know, when we first started dating, I applied it to myself, so I've stopped calling myself crazy. Yeah. I mean, we do that to ourselves. We something we see something on TV and, and it, it seems to relate to us and we go, well, that's how I am. So I'm, I'm that like I used to and I still may not be very good at improv, but I used to say I'm not very good at improv. And then I feel like that I was fine at improv. I feel like I did really well and I made a lot of people laugh, but I felt like because I said it, I would say it amongst my friends so much that I'm not very good at improv. It allowed my friends then to also tell me that I wasn't very good at improv. Yeah. Because why would they not be able to criticize my ability if I've already given them permission, right? Mm -hmm. So I continued this on. I stopped acting weird. I stopped feeling weird. But a lot of my insecurities were still there. But I started to change. I started to try to dress a certain way. I got a, I got a nice clean cut haircut, no dyes in it. I bought some pants from the Banana Republic and a shirt. And I, was, I felt really nice. And, and for years, I continued this on where I, had, I wore khakis and a collared shirt. And I got into the flip-flop culture because, of, uh, because that's what Charleston is, a beach town. I may get back into that because I'm into earthing and grounding now. I could talk about that later. But I, I just want my feet to touch the ground. And, um, but I, you know, I went through all these things. And, and for years, I was, I was on the beach. And I, and I just was never feeling worthy of myself. So many things were happening. I had a, you know, I was working a job waiting tables. I had a bunch of friends. I was partying. I was drinking. And then I was uh, living, living, on the, living on the beach. And um, I was starting to work the Spectreside job. I was starting to talk to my boss, Stu Barber, who was starting to fill me with this good information that I needed. But I was constantly, I went through a whole phase where I only bought like polyester pants from Goodwill and I was like wearing dress pants every day. That's a cry for help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I did that for years and years. And then it wasn't until probably, I don't know, 2009 or 10, I started to wear some black t-shirts. I had a, I used to go to a, a bar called Big John's. And I, um, Big John's had a black shirt and I got one one night and I really liked it. And I was like, wow, I look pretty good in a black t-shirt, but I was still wearing cargo shorts and stuff like that. So I'd be doing black t-shirt cargo shorts. I got a picture of me. I put it on Instagram of me in a black t-shirt cargo shorts and flip flops. I mean, so I was struggling with my style. I was struggling to find a hairstyle. I would, I would flip back and forth. I would, I would, I would have it long and then I would have a bowl cut. And then I would try to shave it off, and then I would, 
I would do this, I would do that, and it was always like, oh, I'm going to be this kind of person now, and oh, no, no, now I'm going to be this kind of person, and well, this is the kind of attitude. I, I worked out for a long time. I got pretty buff there for a little while. I actually put on some put on some weight. I was really cranking it up. I injured my shoulder, but I was really cranking it out for a while, and I finally grew a beard at one point, and then I shaved the beard, and then uh, then I, and for a long time, and then I quit drinking, right? I quit drinking. And, um, and I just, well, well, before I get into that, I just was never happy with myself prior to quitting drinking. Now that doesn't mean that I didn't have a a, a life of happiness. My life, I was always very happy, but I was always inside. Like I need this. If I just had this, or if I just look like this, or if I could just make this money, or if I could just have, you know, get these shoes or, or these jeans, or, you know, if I was driving this car, I was always thinking, man, if I just had this thing, then that's what I, or if I was dating this girl, or if I was dating this girl, or, or if I could go and pick up women like this guy does, uh, if I could just do those things, then, then that, then I'd be, then I'd feel like I had, uh, completion, you know, if I, you know, if I had, you know, if I had a job with some power or something like that, or if I had gone to college or if I was doing this. And when I quit drinking, it really put me in this place where I was like, I was just kind of at a, a lost state, but at peace because I had finally taken control of something, right? So I ended up, the look that I ended up settling on, which I would ride out and still sometimes dress like this, I would ride out for the next, um, six years at least, if you count the time still now, eight years. 2012, I put on, I got a pair of Levi's, black Levi's that I bought at Goodwill, old faded black Levi's, uh, those uh, loafers that I bought with Chaz in Statesboro, Georgia. I used to wear them with no socks. And the black, uh, uh, they were pretty tight. They're my first hipster jeans. Um, And I wore a black V-neck and I had uh, clean shaven, and I had slicked my hair back. Uh, my friend Evan Burke calls it my Rachel Maddow look. Uh, that's how I looked when I met Hannah. Um, and that was the look that I would ride out for, you know, I, I say I would do it just like that for about two years. And then I grew the beard back out. Uh, By the time we started dating in 2015, you were no longer doing that hair. Right. I did that, uh, but I I, I still, I mean, I grew the beard out probably in early 2014, and I, um, but still would slick my hair back. And I did this for a long time. And that, I mean, like, I'm saying that because that is the look that I settled on, a cheap t-shirt from... Uh, from uh, Walmart or Target, uh, pants I got at Goodwill, loafers that I thought I was going to throw away, slick back hair, and that was the most confident I had ever been in my entire life. And it was because I had had some successes. I had took my, my life back, and I, and I felt in control. And now I was waiting tables. I probably had less money than I ever had. I had no car. I had uh, no future really at my job. I even wanted to quit comedy for a little period of time. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I didn't care. And I felt so confident. And I say all of that just to say none of those things matter. It really does. Now, I, as far as looks go, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, had some horrific accident and, 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 and you look bad, I mean, I, I get it. There can be challenges like that. But overall, the things you have, the way you look, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. You can have everything and, um, and still hate yourself. You can still feel bad. You can still feel insufficient. You can still feel uh, like you're not good enough. I mean, there is uh, a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and I always like that book because it's written by a king, King Solomon, who supposedly was the richest, wisest king to have ever lived, and he wrote Ecclesiastes near the end of his life, and he's writing it to people to let them know, hey, I've had everything, and none of it means anything except for God. 
That's his message in that, which I tend to agree with. But, um, and it's just, that's his message. And I just felt like that was so, it's so powerful. And that's my experience too. Not that I had everything, but I was doing really well and still not happy a lot of the times. So uh, I just see a lot of people out there now. I see them on Instagram. I see them. They're struggling out there. They're struggling. They want to find the right look for themselves. They want to find the right movement to follow. They want to find the right thing to get behind. They want to find the right acceptance from the right crowd. And it all comes from inside of you. What I mean, there are so many people in whatever world, whatever you know, country or town or city that you live in, there are so many people and you can move anywhere you want to move. And people will be drawn to you, but you have to work on yourself. It has to be an internal thing, not external. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I definitely relate to identifying with different causes and philosophies in my 20s. And it was all just a desperate search for identity and purpose. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it absolutely is. And I, you know, I had a lot of fun for a long time dressing certain ways. And to be honest, I feel like I had more fun dressing the way that I dressed in high school than I did when I was trying to dress nice and impress people. Um, and I feel like I found a little bit of that, uh, you know, now, I mean, with the hat, when I, when I put this hat on, this is my West Point Pepperell hat. I put that hat on and went on the news in, um, in, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, that hat spoke to me and I was like, oh, this is me. This is fun. This is what I like. And, um, and it's an, it's, I mean, these are nothing hats. This hat I, I got off eBay, I think, for $5. I mean, these are nothing hats. But I love them. And it's fun. And it's a lot of fun. And it's like, but I like all these things because I'm happy with who I am. I'm satisfied with the things that I have. As opposed to um, going, man, maybe I shouldn't wear this hat. If I weren't wearing this hat, I could, I could be doing this or I could be doing that. But I'm, I'm so satisfied with who I am. I mean, I was a bit more satisfied when uh, the country was open and I was allowed to go do comedy gigs, but still, still very satisfied and happy. Well, we started to segue a little bit into uh, God and spiritual talk, so maybe we can talk about the email. Sure. I got an email. I really liked uh, everything you just said, Dusty. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Hannah. Well, I've been... Um, uh, this is an email that I got from someone and I'm just going to skip around, but I'm going to say I have met this person, uh, and they said they had been listening to the podcast and they said, I've been particularly drawn into you talking about your outlook on religion and Christianity. I admit it threw me a bit at first, but it's actually been refreshing to hear you talk about your faith in an open and positive way. It's not something I hear a lot, particularly amongst my comic friends, which is fine, of course. Not everyone has the same views on that sort of thing. I agree. I wouldn't classify, and this is her again, I wouldn't classify myself as religious per se, though I certainly believe in a, how, uh, believe a higher power has come to my rescue on more than one occasion. If you get my drift, and I reckon you do, is what they said. And I definitely do understand what you're saying. I mean, oh my goodness. I have found myself in so many situations that I always wonder how I survive them. And there is, I mean, for me, there's only one explanation. And God saved me. I mean, there is no question for me. I, I think that there are certainly people that are hardcore, never looking back atheists. But I believe in my heart that every single person deep down has perceived or sensed God in their life, whether they're willing to open up to God is a different thing. But I do think they people have definitely sat with this more than they'll you probably, you know, admit. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, yes, I, I, I agree. I mean, and I think, you know, I think that's why I want to talk about it in a way, because I think that people are turned off to religion for one reason or another. And 
I understand that. I've been a part of many churches. I never really felt like I was so much of a part of any. I've been a part, I was a part of one church in my life that I really felt like I belong with this group. But even in that sense, I was still so lost in my own life that I, I don't know uh, if I if I actually felt that way or not. But my point is that you are, are you know, you got to feel your own feelings and you got to know, you know, I feel this way about this church because of this reason. And that's fine. But I'm here to say, uh, well, church doesn't matter. It honestly doesn't matter at all. It's about your connection to God. And so this, I'm going to go on with the email. Anyway, I've just started watching this show, I Am a Killer, released on Netflix about convicted fillers, convicted killers who get out on parole, or this one at least in Texas. If you haven't seen it, dude in question killed a guy 30 years ago walking into a Subway sandwich shop and shooting this fellow in the chest six times, then taking $400. So now he's been in the state pen on death row for 30 years, but was just released on parole, and now he lives with this little old lady and her cats in her trailer. Uh... The dude talks a big God and Jesus game, and he even washes the old lady's feet in gratitude at one point. And I know Jesus definitely hung out with some murderers and whatnot. I guess just the medium of the whole thing, a whole Netflix special about this dude and his redemption, I guess it just feels very forced. To me, like it doesn't quite ring true, and I don't know, maybe I'm just being an asshole about it. Um... Uh, oh, and I guess there's, uh, uh, I don't have a specific question really, but I do, uh, but if you do get to talking about your faith again and care to address redemption and people's ability to truly change for the better and forgiveness, especially in the age of digital media, when people talking about this sort of thing doesn't seem really genuine. Uh, I 100% believe in redemption. I believe that people can be truly changed and they can do something horrific and change and, you know, and move on and regret that for the rest of their life, but but never do anything like it again. I do believe it. Now, do I also believe that there are a ton of phonies that, um, that say, I've changed, I've been redeemed, I'm a different person, and then they're still doing the same old kind of stuff? Absolutely. So I believe, you know, that's why it's hard to judge other people. That's why I think we're called to not judge other people because, um, you know, it's like you may be changed, but I view you as a person that's not changed. So I'm judging you because I don't know what's really going on with you, you know? Right. And I mean, if somebody is a pedophile and they've been redeemed in Jesus's eyes, that doesn't necessarily literally believe that doesn't necessarily make me believe they need to be out of jail right but they're redeemed in jesus's eyes if they you know if if they are i mean it's, I, I don't know the steps but if they are they are but that doesn't mean that necessarily i don't want them babysitting my kids you know what i mean right and i think that's why jesus is so appealing to people who have had fraught lives because they realize I need help. I cannot do this on my own. And that there is forgiveness and there is a new life to be found following Jesus. And I'll say this, um, I love reading C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite writers. And there's a great book called Mere Christianity. And one of the passages that have always stuck out to me is that... Um, you know, it's easy for certain people to be Christians because their defects are so clear or their need for help is so clear. Like, you know, I've, I'm sorry if I keep bringing this up on every podcast, but you know, I lost two family members when I was high school. It made me very angry and lost and I struggled for many, many years and I sought satisfaction with relationships, with a career. And I, I felt very disillusioned up until my late 20s when I became a Christian. Now, it's very, 
you know, it's not, that's not a remarkable story anymore because it's like, clearly I needed help. Clearly I needed restoration through a higher power. And you see these stories a lot with the murderer who, you know, was so defective that he killed someone. AA is all about turning it over to a higher power. And C.S. Lewis says this, and I 100% agree with this, the hardest... Uh, the people that are least likely to turn to Jesus are the people that are, you know, the most stable. Perhaps they came from a good family. They are, um, they are, uh, you know, well, they're well-purposed. They are kind. They're naturally kind. They are relatively moral people. They work hard in their life. They care about their family, their friends, and their community. And so their answer to me would be like, I don't need Jesus. I don't understand why I would need to put myself under some sort of belief like this because I believe that I'm already a moral person. And I hear that argument And to that, I would say, yes, look at how wonderful your life is without Jesus. But imagine how amazing you could be if you had the power of God walking with you every day. Imagine the difference it would be. And also to that, and I'll end it here, you will look at some Christians and say, I can't believe they're a Christian. They are, they steal, they lie, they, they murder, they do this. And it's like, or, or like, you know, they do that even when they're Christians, but imagine what they would be like without Jesus. Totally. So you don't know people's raw material. Well, great point, Hannah. Great job. I mean, it really is. Thank you for bringing that in. You're welcome. Um, so, yes, and this is the last part of the email. It says, of course, I shouldn't be so dubious, I guess, since I will be sober myself for three years as of next Saturday. Congratulations. A real alcoholic, to be sure. Um, but I also know that I didn't change as a person inside, you know. All those defects are still there and alive for sure. And just for anybody else that's dealing with that sort of thing, I don't think – that things go away overnight, you know? I mean, and I think everybody's timetable is different. So one person may uh, find Jesus and or, or may quit drinking and their life turn around and everything is great and wonderful and they're perfect. Uh, and another person may take longer. And it's like, I, there is no timetable. And I think it's just important to, you know, be on your own journey, be, be improving uh, and, uh, you know, seek um, you know, and I don't think your, your quote unquote defects go away overnight. And oftentimes I think sometimes we have things within us that we think are defects, but we're really just using them the wrong way. I think there are gifts given to us to be used for good, but we use them the wrong way, not purposely, but because we don't know what to do with them. If that makes sense. I don't know your particular defects, but that's just a thought that comes to mind. And with that, let's move on to another email off of this. Uh, Thank you for sending that email, by the way. I don't want this uh, podcast to get preachy. Um, And I don't think it has. I think, listen, I am all about people. Like, I, I, I went to a church a couple of times, and it was a redemptive church. It was like, this church, these people, they, I forget what the, the thing was called, but an alcoholic friend of mine wanted me to go with him. I had already quit drinking at the time, but he wanted someone to go with him, so I went. And it was all older people, middle-aged to older people that had been drug addicts or alcoholics, and they had now uh, at least turned their life around. And there was a song called um, uh, Break Every Chain, and it's uh, I think Tasha Combs sings it. Uh, there's a few other sing- people that sing it. It's a gospel song. It's a great song. We should play but it. But they just sing, I don't know, uh, I'll let people look it up on their own, but they say, uh, you know, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain. And they basically repeat that over and over again. And if you hear the gospel singers sing it, the well-produced, the amazing quality, it sounds great. It's a powerful song. Uh, you're, you're, you're sure to feel something. But in that church with all of those broken people standing up on that choir with no real instruments, singing that song, and then people had signs in their hands, and they would come across the stage, and they would show what 
uh, thing they recovered from. And you saw each of them come across the stage having recovered from something, drug addiction, alcoholism, you know, whatever it was, they came across the stage and you felt the power. And there is a power to heal people and to redeem people. That's what it's all about. It's all about redeeming. And that is why Jesus hung out with poor people and sinners and things like that, because those are the people that need to be redeemed. I mean, and, oh man, I mean, I didn't mean for this to turn into a full-on preach session here, but I felt that. I have felt that before. I mean, I have been in uh, the depths of, of a, uh, I don't know, alcoholism, a drinking addiction, a partying addiction, whatever you want to call it, an attention-seeking uh, 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 That's oftentimes what I think I suffered from the most. It was not the alcohol. It was the attention that I was getting from being in the bars with my friends. And quitting drinking, I was no longer in there, and that was the hardest part. But nevertheless, here we are. We're having a good time. I got an email from someone else comedy related. And I will say, you know, to the listeners that are listening, if you have any faith-based questions, I do think Dusty is a great person to bounce stuff off. Um, because I mean, I was raised Catholic. Now I'm Christian, but Dusty really had a lot to do and with. No offense if you're a Catholic listening mm-hmm. and hearing that. They're, they're just, it's it, uh, anyway. Yeah. But, but I, uh, but there is a difference to me in my head. And, um, but Dusty had a big part in sort of bringing me back to Jesus, as we'd say, in the in my late twenties. So, well, you know, he's a uh, compelling. I just uh, think that I have a person. Un- I just think that I have a unique way of of looking at stuff, and um, and uh, yeah, and I just want to share it with people because I think it it brings happiness. It should not be looked on as a thing uh, of sadness or a thing of oppression, but uh, as freedom, essentially. And, uh, oh, man, I'd love to get deeper into it. But uh, we're having a good time here. And I got, I got a question here. Uh, this is a comedy question. Hey, uh, I got myself a tight five I'm digging, but here recently I've been getting opportunities to do more time on stage. I want to build off my existing jokes, but I fear I may ruin the punch of the joke, and I'm not sure to how to make transitions for my next joke. I think this becomes more difficult because I have a one-liner stylish. Uh, and then he gives an example, and then and then it's a one-liner joke, and then he says, this is where I'm torn. My next joke is unrelated. Should I try to add more tags, find a way to connect the jokes, just keep it as is, and expand the next joke? What's your thoughts of expanding a Type 5? Thank you, Dusty, and thanks to Hannah as well. Uh, this is what I think. I think that when you got that Type 5, uh, you want to keep it because a type five is important. It's important for any kind of audition and anything that you want to do. If you go do a guest spot at a club, you want to keep that type five so you can go do it and perform it and say, this is, this is what I can do. But I think within each joke, oftentimes, especially with a one-liner style, that one-liner is probably a premise. It's probably, and if it's not, try to add some more tags. I try to add, I try to tag a joke to death and add some more tags. And then what I try to do, like, for instance, if your joke is about uh, heating and air conditioning, um, take a look at all your one-liner jokes that you have and say, do I have other work-related jokes? Do I have other jokes that uh, are talking about... Um, uh, living somewhere with a heater or air conditioner or anything, and then just try to lump those jokes in together when you're trying to do a longer set. So now you're not necessarily doing a long bit, but you're doing a bunch of one-liners that all relate to each other. And so, like for me, like my if you ever if you go on uh, YouTube and watch my, uh, I'm burping now, but you watch my um, video about have you ever for anyone that's ever waited tables. Uh, you'll notice if you pay attention, that is of course a waiting tables chunk, but it's several individual jokes about waiting tables. They can stand alone. Most of them I could just do on their own uh, without any of the other jokes. So I hope that helps. Uh, by all means, try everything out. Add tags, but try to arrange your your set in a way that. Uh, you seem to flow into the next joke, whether there's any connection or not. And there's nothing, also nothing wrong with building a segue to the next joke. That's sometimes the most fun. 
So, what else did we have, Hannah? Um, that's everything. That's everything. Well, perfect. We're at an hour and five minutes. Um, or four minutes. It doesn't matter. I feel I feel great. I felt like this was a good one. I never want people to think I've gotten preachy. So don't, if you're not a Christian and you're not into religious stuff, uh, know that I'm just doing this to, to, to try to help people that are seeking things and don't, don't, don't be hurt about it. And if you, and if you want to wear a mask, wear that mask. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wear a bandana. And if I'm ever around you, I'll fiddle with that fan bandana in a way that makes you think I'm about to put it on. And if you want to wear Jenkos, <laughs> you know, wear some Jenkos. You know, bleach your hair blonde. I tell you what, I uh, love people. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't believe the way that I believe. And I think it's great. I love, uh, I love when people don't believe what I believe, but care about what they believe. And we can share our beliefs and talk about it. I think that's always a lot of fun. And it's, uh, so keep the questions coming. Yeah. I mean, but you know, care about what you do, whatever it is, care about it, care about it. All right. Thank you guys. We're having a good time.